0: Well, about 20 years ago, uh, we were living in Round Rock, Texas, where we were starting a church, and for some reason, we decided to buy a dog, and this dog was a mix. It was uh, part black Labrador, part demon, (laughs) and for whatever reason, when they passed out the dog brains, she didn't get one. All right? So when a puppy tears up things, it's cute for a while. But when a dog continues to tear up things, it's miserable. So this dog, and we were church planners, so we didn't have any money. This dog cost us a lot of money, everything she tore up. So I'm not joking when when I'm saying she tore off big chunks of the siding of the house. And if that's not enough, she actually... Ate some of the brick off the side of the house. Well, one day we were in the house and we hear this: "What is that?" And this dog is eating the brick. So the story after story of everything this dog was tearing up. Uh, it tore up uh, the the pad around the trampoline one day, which is not a cheap fix. And it was the second day, the second time that the dog tore up the trampoline, that I lost it it was gone and here's what i remember i remember walking out of the master bathroom and my sweet wife putting her hand in my chest saying no you can't do this and here's what i know is in my hand was my 12 gauge shotgun with a shell in it <laughs> and she said you cannot shoot this dog in front of the children And my question is, why? <laughs> and so, are, are they going to school soon? You know? And so, and she said, not only can you not shoot in front of the children, you cannot shoot your gun. Now, I was a hunter back then. I hunted a lot. You cannot kill the dog in the neighborhood. Stop. And so, it was like, I woke up and said, what am I thinking? You know? It was just one of those moments where I just lost it, and... Uh, Embarrassing to tell that story, but it is true. It is what happened, and uh, I regret that. Now, we talk about that because today we're, we're moving on. We've been talking about how would Jesus live my life? Obviously, he wouldn't do that. Um, but how would Jesus live my life? So we've really gone through the introduction. And Jesus says, I am the, the answer to all of the promises of the, of the Jewish scripture, I'm the Messiah. Uh, You are called to be salt and light, representatives of the covenant. You are to be the doers of good deeds in the world so they see my light in you. And then last week we talked about how two things that you need for that are are dependence on Scripture and dependence on the Spirit. And so this week then, he starts talking very specifically about this is what my followers will look like. And so the next coming weeks, it really starts to get personal. Personal. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. And, uh, and so, again, we, we have undergirding this, that if you're going to do this, it's because you're connected to Christ and you have a relationship with Him that is growing and flourishing. But when my, when my followers get it right, this is what they look like. Okay? So uh, he starts in a chapter that's called, section that's called murder. Uh, it probably would be better titled anger. All right? And it's interesting that that's the first one he uses. So look with me in Matthew chapter 5. Continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, how would Jesus live my life? Verse twenty one, page nine hundred sixty nine for using the pew Bible. And Jesus says this Matthew five twenty one. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So is going back to the, to the law. Verse 22, he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, so a couple of things here that Jesus says that if he were going to live like us, the first thing that we have to understand is this reality, that, that a heart full of anger is not available for kingdom use. A heart full of anger is not available for kingdom use. All right? So let's go through and see what Jesus said here. So he goes back to the, to the Old Testament law that you're not supposed to murder, you, you face judgment. But then he says, and he equates um, angry anger with your brother or sister with murder. Now, the word anger there is a very interesting word, and it really means to have a grudge, to hold on to something, to not let go of your anger towards someone, to carry it with you wherever you go, to carry that anger and make it part of you. Now, he's talking to the disciples about their inter- inter- relations with each other and our inter- relations with other followers of Jesus, and he's saying, listen, you, you can't have this anger toward each other because that's not who my followers are to be. That's not normal. That's not natural for who we are. And so it's very important for us to see that this this anger that we hold on to and we carry, there's a couple of things that take place. One, the person with whom we're angry owns us. But spiritually, it's even deeper than that. When we are angry with our brother or sister in Christ, we're unavailable for the use by Jesus for his kingdom. It's a big deal. And Jesus says, "We can't carry this anger around because it, it is so mis- misre- misrepresents who He is." James in chapter one said this, "My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this: Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires." Writer of Ecclesiastes, we believe Solomon, said this, "Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of laps of fools." Don't let anger dominate you. Don't let grudges be there. And Jesus said, if you're my follower, that's not going to be a part of your journey. Whew. That's hard. But Jesus goes on, and he says, "Um, I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister who is subject to judgment, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Now, the word Raka there does mean fool. In fact, it means brainless idiot. And what Jesus says, and this was the teaching of the religious leaders, when you call someone a brainless idiot, what you're doing is saying that God made a mistake. And when you say that God made a mistake, you are answerable to the religious leaders, and therefore they have the right to kick you out of the synagogue because you are saying God messed up. He said, but I want to go one deeper for you. And he says this, Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And the word fool there translated means stupid and godless. And Jesus says you're in danger of having to deal directly with God because you are calling someone stupid and godless. You are putting yourself in God's place and you have absolutely no right to do that. So Jesus says, you know what? For my followers, anger is not normal. Holding on to those grudges, that's not normal. It's not right. And the way you interact with each other, the world should see that that's not a part of who you are. And he was telling the disciples this because he knew in Acts... They were going to struggle with this. They were going to have some problems. And they were going to have to come back and come back to this reality. Wait a minute. This is not where Jesus told us to camp out. We have to let go of these things. We have to move on. October the 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts at the age of 32, he walked into an Amish schoolhouse and told all the boys to leave and the adults And he kept the girls back. One of the girls escaped. There were ten girls. He tied them up, had them face the blackboard, but they were so able to get help there so quickly, the police were there in seven minutes. And when he realized that uh, it was over for him, he took his guns and he shot the girls one at a time, and he took his own life. Five of the girls died. Five of them left. In 2016, uh, I reported an article interviewing all of these people, the the Amish people, about those events and what happened. And and if, if you remember, the Amish came on TV, and they were interviewed. And the leader of the Amish circle said, We believe everything happens for a purpose. We trust God, and we forgive the man who did this. In front of the world. And I watched that clip over and over and over again, and he meant it. So 10 years later, they, they are interviewing all of these Amish people, and, and they, what they did is they got together, and they got in a circle. Those who had lost their kids, their grandkids, or, and those who, whose kids were, were shot and not killed, and, and everybody in the community came together, and they said, the world is going to ask us how we respond. And together they began to talk, how should we respond in a way that brings honor to Jesus? And they said, you know what, we were hurting it was hard, but we knew the right thing to do was to tell the world we forgive. And Yes, we've been mourning. It, it's been hard, but it's been phenomenal to see how God has used this. See, that's the picture Jesus created. That anger doesn't control us. That anger doesn't dominate our journey. And I think it's so significant for us to realize that when we are holding on to anger, God doesn't use us because we get in His way. And so we have to deal with the anger that is there and understand that is real so that we can be available for kingdom purposes. And so Jesus, in saying, how would I live my life, how would He live our life in 2018, is that He would let go of what anger we have toward each other. If you get online and read anything, you think Christians can't stand each other. And it's real obvious and real clear. My goodness, we're to be people of love. And so so Jesus makes it clear you cannot hold on to this anger. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who deserve our anger, but it doesn't really matter. Because it's not about them, and it's not really even about us. It's about our king. It's my people. You can't carry this anger. You can't hold on to it. You have to move past it. Well, if that's not enough, Jesus goes on. In the following verses, he says, It is normal for followers of Jesus, instead instead of being carriers of anger, to be bringers of peace. And he gives two illustrations. Verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Something phenomenal that Jesus says that has always boggled my mind. He doesn't say if you bring a gift to the altar and you realize you have something against someone to go reconcile with them. He says if you remember that they have something against you. Go reconcile with them. And Jesus says, don't even worship. Don't even go through the motions of worship until you go and reconcile with this person. It doesn't matter if they're right or not. It doesn't matter if they got it perfect. Go be reconciled with them. Ouch! But Lord, they're wrong. Doesn't matter. But Lord, I, I apologize, and then I'm not ready. It doesn't matter. Go be reconciled to them. Do your part in this. Paul wrote about this in Romans 12. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Wow, what a call. And Jesus says in our relationships with each other, we need to be the bringers of peace. We need to be the bearers of peace. We need to bring peace into the situation. And so as we interact with each other, peace should be something that is a part of our journey. But then Jesus, if that's not enough, he goes on. What about those who are outside of faith? Settle matters quickly, verse 25, with your adversary who has taken you to court. Your adversary is not your brother or sister. This is someone outside of faith. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over uh, to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. It's not about staying out of jail, it's about being a bringer of peace. And as followers of Jesus, every room we walk into, we ought to be bringers of peace. Every interaction we have, we ought to be bringers of peace. And I know there are situations that it's so hard, whether it's at work or with your family or with friends. We ought to be bringers of peace. We ought to be known as bringers of peace. Sometimes we don't do that very well. one of my heroes in faith is my dad. Uh, my dad is 85. Um, he has I've watched him grow in the last four decades spiritually a phenomenal clip. It's been amazing to watch him and so we were uh, driving one time I think it was last Christmas every time we go and visit part of my job is to take him to some financial institution to make sure if something's okay. even though it was okay six months ago we're going to make sure it's still okay because uh, that's what we do. So we were driving, and I was talking to him, and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to ask him something that I've always wanted to know. I said, Dad, you're 85, you love Jesus, and you're, you've run the race well, and you're going to finish well. And, and I, for me, one of the biggest scary propositions is not finishing well. Now, I can see in my journey how I'd just get so tired and burned out and frustrated, I'd say, you know what, I'm done. But he didn't do that. He stayed true, he stayed strong, and I said, I want to know the secret to finishing well. How do I do that? And he thought for a minute, and he said, well, you know, I constantly pray, and I constantly listen. And when God calls me to do something, I say yes. And he said, you know, when you say yes to God, you never get tired of the amazing things he does. I'm like, there it is. Now, I tell you that story because I'm going to tell you a story about my dad that does not put him in good light. So, uh, my dad is, is a very compassionate, giving person, but he has an amazing fatal flaw and it's called a basketball gym. So for my dad, uh, no referee ever in the history of mankind has ever made a good call. All right? He was a college basketball player. He loves the game. And, uh, and, and even now he has a great-granddaughter who plays basketball, and he still goes. And though he doesn't have the energy he used to, still gets frustrated. All right? And he's come to the conclusion that every referee he's watching needs his help. Okay? So if you were to sit by my dad at a basketball game, it would be a constant telling the referee everything he's doing wrong. So, for example, you know, you're not supposed to stay in what they call the paint more than three seconds. And so he will stand up and count out. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, as if you're not paying attention, ref. That's just him. So I was in eighth grade playing basketball, and uh, it was a very poorly officiated game. We had gone to another city to play, and uh, we might say that it was a Homer referee. So my dad was in his ear all night long. And so we were in the middle of the third quarter, the referee blows the whistle. Stops the game out of the blue for no reason. He points to the stands at my dad and says, you, out. My Baptist deacon father stands up and says, you come and get me. (laughs) And he sits back down. I'm on the floor. What do you do? And so the athletic director walks up slowly, cautiously to my dad. My dad's a big man. He's 6'5", 285 pounds. He walks cautiously up to my dad and says, listen, he's not going to continue the game unless you leave. So my dad's like, So he starts walking down the stairs, and on his way out, he yells, I've been kicked out of better gyms than this one, (laughs) which he had. So that night, uh, the game was over. Went home, and he sat me down at the kitchen table, and he said, "Doug, I, I just I want to apologize. I said, it's okay, Dad. It's not a big deal. You know, you yell so much, I don't even hear you anymore." <laughs> he said, "No, no, no, no." And he said, "I did not represent Jesus well today, and I'm sorry. I should have done that." boy, those words, those kind of words, you know, rarely came out. And I was like, okay. But but I look at that moment and I think, you know, that's really what we have to see. That every room we go into, we're bringers of peace. That we ought to walk away from that room and people ought to not say about us, "Wow, well, Christians are jerks. They ought to say, "Wow, Christians are bringers of peace. And so whether it's, we're, going to meet with our family and there's a a cousin or an aunt or a sibling or a parent or a child that brings discord into that meeting, we should be bringers of peace. Maybe you're going to go to work tomorrow and interact with someone who is going to make life not very peaceable. We're to be bringers of peace. Or maybe you're going to get behind the wheel of a car, and peace is the furthest thing from your mind when you're driving. And you're coming to the conclusion that flipping people off is not the right answer. We need to be bringers of peace, even to the roadway. And I think Jesus is trying to say, listen, the world world doesn't know peace. The world doesn't have peace. And so we as, you as my followers, you need to bring peace to the world, and they need to see peace in you. You need to be peacemakers. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't disagree with people, but our problem is we love to disagree, and we don't disagree in love. Bringers of peace disagree in love. And I think that's key. So, as we go through this, as we go through the different things that Jesus teaches, more than likely, we're going to come across for you a stronghold in your life. Something that just, I can't conquer this. And and maybe, and maybe it's this anger thing. Maybe anger is the one you struggle with. So, as we go through this, we want to give you an opportunity or show you something that maybe can help you out. And it's called the Vim. This is from Dallas Willard. And it's uh, them is the, the vision, the intention, and the means. Okay? And so, think. All right. So, in this case, the vision is as, as we think about how Jesus would live our lives in 2018, when it comes to anger, how would Jesus live in the situations that I live in? Whether it's driving down the road or it's going home or it's going to a family reunion, or it's going to work, or it's going to school. You have certain people in your life that bring more difficulty to you than others. And the question is, how would Jesus live my life in this situation? And to get a vision of that, we pray and we ask, Lord, what would it look like for me to encounter this person the way you would? Now be careful when you ask that, because there's a good chance you're not going to like the answer. But we ask and we pray, how would you, Jesus, deal with this relative, or this coworker, or this fellow student or this driver? What does that look like? And so we get a vision and a picture of what God expects from us. The eye, then is the intention. And this, the eye, to me, is the hardest in all of this because the intention says, I really want to become like the vision. And you really have to mean it. Okay, the intention is, this is the picture that God has given me of how I should live concerning anger in my life, and I really want to do that or I really don't. We can say we want to, but we may not really want to. Do you get what I'm saying? If you can't conquer the eye, you're wasting your time. The intention is that, yes, I know I'm off course. I know that flipping people off on a drive to work is not good. I want to get rid of that in my life. I want to be different. I want to be a bringer of peace into the world. And the M is the means. How do I do that? How do I make that happen? Several things always begins in all of this with relationship with Christ that the Holy Spirit transforms us and makes us new and and carries us along. But when it comes to these strongholds, sometimes we need some real practical stuff. And so maybe before you get in the car, you stop and you pray, and you say, Lord, if anybody cuts me off today, please help me to pray for them. There's a novel idea. Or it may be before that family meeting starts where... Cousin Betty Sue, whoever it is that's going to give you a hard time about something, that you pray and you say, uh, Lord, help me to interact with this person in the right way. And maybe you have somebody else stand there with you. And maybe you just say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to have this conversation. I love you, Betty Sue, but this isn't going to go in a good place. Maybe you can give him a hug. I don't know. Or maybe you're going to go to work and you know that there's going to be a person that cause, causes difficulty. We pray for that person. We pray for the inter- interaction. And we pray that somehow we would bring peace to the situation. It's phenomenal the transformation that makes. To them. The vision Jesus gave us. The intention we have to decide. The means is there. It's just a matter if we will. So I, I just want to remind you and emphasize just Just one more time. (laughs) Anger doesn't help. And anger keeps us from being available to the kingdom's work. And wherever we go as followers of Jesus, our call is to be a bringer of peace. And that's how the world should see us. Whether it's on the phone, whether it's in person or online, The world ought to see followers of Jesus as bringers of peace. Let's pray.